Hello and welcome to the Church Society podcast. You'll see uh, this week that we have gained an extra uh, guest. Anna, just tell us uh, who you are, what you do, what lockdown is looking like for you. Great. So my name's Alid. I'm a curate in Chester Diocese um, and I'm curate of the parish of Poynton, which is in between Stockport and Macclesfield. Um, We've been in Interregnum since October so my busy life is still being very busy. Um, been here since, well, I was ordained in July 2018 um, from Oakkill. And at the moment, lockdown, I spend a lot of time filming and splicing together videos because the way we do our services is we do, we pre-record them during the week. I splice them together and we then put them out on YouTube and Facebook as a kind of premiere thing on a Sunday so that basically so that people aren't just watching me. We get to have different people doing different things. Um, and so far, so good. Um, but yeah, I've had to learn how to become a film editor very quickly. How, haven't we all? Haven't we all? <laughs> it's, um, you know, the, the technological skill in the clergy of the Church of England has increased exponentially in the last few weeks, I think. Good. Well, we've got a number of things on our uh, list to discuss this morning. And I want to start... Um, with the announcements that were made last week concerning uh, General Synod. There's, uh, there's also been an announcement about living in love and faith. We talked about these a couple of weeks ago when we weren't quite sure what was happening. I think it's fair to say we're still not quite sure what's happening. Um, but the living in love and faith resources uh, publication of those has definitely been delayed. And I think we're expecting those to come out in the autumn um, at some point now. There's also been a letter sent to members of General Synod letting them know that there won't be a physical meeting in July, which seems very sensible. <laughs> there is a problem. They would like to be able to conduct the meeting of General Synod online, but they aren't allowed to do that unless General Synod have agreed that they can do that, which they can't do because they're not allowed to meet online. So um, they have instead uh, said that they're going to explore with the government the possibility of Parliament passing legislation to enable the Synod to transact its business remotely. Lee, why, why are Parliament involved in this? You know, we're, we're deciding what's about Church Society AGM and we're not asking yeah. Parliament to pass a new law um, to, to allow us to do that <laughs> Why Why is that happening for General Synod? Indeed, it's the um, the Privy Council also have to be involved in this, of course, and Lord President of the Council, Jacob Rees-Mogg, uh, <laughs> will be calling together a meeting of the Privy Council, uh, which meets every month, uh, it's it's well it's because we're an established church essentially the church of england is not just a voluntary organization um as a, a, which there are many in this country who can do what they like as long as they can get a certain number of people together to decide we're part of the um the, the apparatus of the whole of the british nation and state so parliament have a role in uh, setting up our rules of governance and so synod General Synod is essentially part of Parliament. It's like the House of Parliament, you see. So in order for it to change the way it does things, it's standing orders for how it makes decisions, whether they can do that virtually or in real life face-to-face meetings, that all has to go through Parliament and the Privy Council. I think members of Synod have been asked if they're happy to do this kind of thing. So the letter that went out to them recently asked them to state their opinion on that subject. Uh, but also the Privy Council will have to take a decision as to whether the, the 
uh, Synod can change the way it does things. Yeah. If it can do that in May's meeting, then possibly in July some business could be transacted by the Synod. But if not, then we're hoping that the November sessions, which would have been the first ones of the new General Synod, that those will be the new sessions where the, the Synod can make some decisions and um, comments yeah. and questions. Yeah, so you mentioned that in November we were expecting to have had General Synod elections this summer for a new yes. General Synod which would meet for the first time in November. Now, there's already been some uh, confusion about what that might mean because General Synod uh, is elected by deanery synod reps, certainly the House of Laity is, House of Clergy obviously elected yes. by, by clergy. Um, some churches had had their APCM before lockdown and elected their deanery synod reps, but most churches hadn't. And so it was a question of who was going to be able to elect. And the hope again in this letter that's stated is that all of that will be delayed for 12 months. So the next general synod won't be elected until 2021. And hopefully by then churches will have been able to have an APCM, will have elected their deanery synod reps, who will then elect this new um synod and that is again a thing which privy council have to agree that that could be done uh, but assuming that they agree and i i can't see privy council really having a, a problem with that but assuming they agree that means that the existing general synod will meet potentially um in november and again in february next year and again in july next year after the living in love and faith resort has been published so they'll have potentially three meetings yeah where they're able to discuss those and see where that goes forward. And we had thought that it would really be the new synod that would be the ones who would get to engage with that. I don't know whether you have any sense, either of you, whether that uh, is a significant difference, what, what implication that might have for how the resources are received, for what next steps might happen. I don't know what we think. We just don't know because we don't know um, the relative strength of the different parties within the church. I don't like talking that in that sort of way, but that's the way it is um, at the moment. And what things might be like next September when the, when the elections will finally happen, God willing, for the new synod. We know that the current synod is stuffed full of revisionists who would like to change the church's approach to um, human sexuality, marriage, transgender and all those issues. We don't know whether the new synod, when it finally gets elected, will be slightly different in terms of its balance of um, views on that subject. Uh, perhaps it will give us a little bit longer um, as evangelicals and as Orthodox Anglo-Catholics and others who are uh, wanting to stick with the, the church's canonical position, Canon B30 on uh, marriage and our stated views on sexuality from the Higton motion of 1987, the Lambeth conference of 1998. It may be that a new synod will be more conservative on those issues. It will give us a bit longer to galvanise people to stand uh, who have those views. We don't know. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think it would be worth saying, you know, we have been trying to encourage people to think about standing, uh, even if all you think you could do is stand as deanery synod rep please do that and please make sure that your church's quota of deanery synod reps is, is full um, so that you have uh, more votes for general synod. Um, uh, there is a website, I will put a link to that in the programme notes, uh, 
helping people understand what's entailed in being in general synod, uh, why it's really important. CEC, the Church of England Evangelical Council, have been really working hard on trying to encourage more uh, evangelicals uh, to stand for general synod. And if it, as it looks like, that will be next year, then you just have more time to think about uh, whether that's appropriate for you or whether there's someone you know yes. who you could encourage to stand. So I think that's probably all so important. reasonably say about that at this point. We don't know a whole lot more. Um, than the official advice. So I want to move on to a second uh, subject, which is something people have been thinking about quite a lot in the last few weeks. I wrote a blog post on this a couple of weeks ago, which had a lot of positive feedback. And we've also been um, uh, putting a number of posts from it. Uh, we did an issue of Crossway on this a couple of years ago that we've been putting up on the blog, thinking about the issue of mental health. Um, it is something that a lot of people are really noticing as we're going through this sort of lockdown period and the anxiety associated with coronavirus, but it is having an impact on people's mental health. And Alad, I wanted to ask you, because I know this is something you've thought about um, a lot and have some experience of yourself. Why, why is it, do you think, that lockdown is having an impact on people's mental health? What are some of the issues that, that people are going to be struggling with? Um, there'll be all sorts of things, really. So um, the future is very much up in the air. So that's causing a lot of anxiety. Um, extroverts are struggling with being locked down. Introverts are also struggling, um, speaking as one, um, because whether you're in a household that you can't escape from, um, or whether that's actually you do like to see people sometimes, um, especially if you're someone like me who, even though I'm an introvert, gets a lot of encouragement from fellowship. Um, for those who have um, strong church families and they're part of congregations that really see themselves as a family, um, that is a massive cutoff, especially because, you know, we're encouraged to gather together and we are not allowed to do so. Um, which is an interesting question for us as Western Christians, I think, because we're now in a situation where many of our brothers and sisters have been for years mm -hmm. and they haven't complained as loudly as we have. That's just something to Yeah, it's very about. interesting, isn't it? People, some Christians have been living with this for, for many, many years in different regimes. Yeah, good point. Um, yeah, so I think anxiety is a big one, whether you're anxious about catching the virus or you're anxious for loved ones especially mm. if you have elderly relatives or people in the vulnerable category um and just yeah there's an uncertainty a lot of it almost feels like a lot of the kind of comforting things that we had the rug has mm. been pulled quite strongly um from most of us and it was interesting in our service yesterday, one of our associate ministers was leading and he said, it's interesting that solitary confinement is described as one of the worst punishments you can ever give mm. someone. And for a lot of us, that's now what's going on. Um, yes. I mean, I, I think it's, it's not quite the same as solitary confinement in a, in a prison, but, um, you know, most of us are able to at least have phone contact or internet contact. And most of us are still in a position where we're still allowed to occasionally go to the shops and, and do whatever but it but you're right it is it is not a good thing for us to be alone i mean you know that we're told that in in genesis too i mean it's not good for the man to be alone and and uh loneliness is not a good way to live um so we shouldn't be surprised i think that actually the situation that we are in is having an impact potentially on people's mental health what sort of things might we look out for if we're not sure whether we're struggling with this if we want to 
um, keep an eye on our mental health? What sort of signs might we look for as, I guess, warning signs, things just to notice and think, maybe I should do something differently. Maybe I should take some action here. This doesn't seem right. Yeah, so there'll be very simple things. So your sleep pattern, um, your eating pattern, is that going up or down? Um, you will be, we are, by nature, we're using screens a lot more than we used to, but we'll be using them even more now. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know all the science behind it, but there is this whole debate about whether Zoom is having a negative effect on us emotionally, all that sort of thing. Um, you will, if you find that you're stopping enjoying what you usually enjoy, mm -hmm. um, obviously there'll be certain hobbies that we, we're used to, but we can't do. So again, associate minister friend is really into mountain biking. He can't do that. Um, but certain things that we enjoy, like say even little things like, oh, there's a particular telly program that I really like. Oh, I've, I've gone off that now, um, which does happen. You know, it does happen. Like, you know, I used to love Doctor Who, but suddenly, you know, the way it's going. Yeah. These days, but but if it's a pattern, if it's all the things that you normally would enjoy, you're suddenly finding you're not really enjoying. And that's yeah. Concerning. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like if you're someone who's used to kind of um, saying how you feel, but just kind of becoming more withdrawn. Um, a lot of it is just I don't think we're that good at um, self-examination. Yeah. Um, I've had to learn it the hard way. Um, but for a lot of us, I think our default is to just carry on. And we just like, oh, I might, you know, I'm not depressed. I don't feel sad. Yes. But, yeah. And it's more complicated, isn't it, than that? Um, in the, the post that I wrote a couple of weeks ago, and I, I will put a link to this, um, one of the things that, that I used for a number of years, just an online mood tracker. And it's just a really helpful practice to get into, just to, to check in with yourself and ask yourself those questions and, and see, you know, is there a trend? You know, are you kind of stable or is there a, a sort of upward trend or a downward trend? And if so, is there something that you need to do about that? Because as you say, most of us are not very aware. For me, it's really obvious. You can tell when I'm really struggling um, because I won't do the washing up for weeks. That, and, you know, there are other signs too, but, but that's one really obvious thing. You can tell if there's just a huge pile of washing up that I haven't been able to bring myself to do. That's a sign that I'm not really okay. Um, so yeah, people need to learn to look out for those kind of signs. And if somebody um, does notice actually they are struggling with sleep, their eating patterns are changing, they're not enjoying stuff, they're withdrawing from uh, other people, you know, they're noticing that actually there there are uh, concerning signs. Uh, what would we um, recommend people do? uh in response to that so you, you know it's one thing to notice the problem but actually then is there anything you can do about that hmm. well it's 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 a tricky one because a lot of us will find different things helpful than others so one of the things that um mark Maynell does in his book on depression is he says every case is unique yeah you know it's very hard to sort of like have a here's a universal experience but there are common things so um, the things that I do is I have people who I check in with, mm -hmm. um, which obviously I have to do remotely now, um, but I have. So um, the the Northern Regional Director of Church Society, George Crowder, happens to be a very good friend of mine. Um, he was my boss before college. Um, so he's someone I check in with every month um, and he knows me well enough to be able to just spot things that I can't spot. And I have a couple of other people I do that as well with. 
Um, but that's all, it's all good saying that if you've got those contacts, if you don't have those contacts, it's tricky. And um, if you're not feeling great, that's often the hardest time to be able to establish that sort of pattern, yeah. isn't it? And re reach out to people to actually have the capacity to do that might not be. Um, yeah. So the, the, I, guess, I guess with that, we need to start encouraging people. If you have people in your lives that may be susceptible to this, you need to start, you need to make the first move mm -hmm. um, and check in with them because they might not do it for you. You yeah. know, it's okay for me because I'm relatively, I can spot patterns now and my wife's very good at spotting them as well. Um, but, you know, maybe have a think this week. Who, who are people in my life who you think, yeah, maybe they need they need a call or a text or anything. Sometimes texting's better. I know we always say better mm -hmm. to do things on the phone, but for some people, texting is a very easy way of talking without getting too emotional yeah. and feeling rubbish. And then, and then you can begin to assess actually, you know, oh, this person seems completely fine, or maybe mm -hmm. there is a bit more to it. Maybe I'll message them and say, actually, would you like to have a phone call with that? Yeah. Yeah. Thing to do. Yeah, as a first step. And um, Lee, what about you? What what things do you find uh, you're doing now and in general that um, help you stay uh, healthy emotionally and, and mentally? I think the government's given good advice in terms of uh, get out and have some exercise every day. Uh, and so uh, getting out, I mean, particularly now when the weather is so beautiful, um, mostly uh, we can go out, see the amazing variety in nature and enjoy that. I think that is something that's uh, the government were very wise to encourage us to do, um, and we ought to do that more. I think it's nice that the government are giving us uh, a daily update on how things are going. However, I find that um, if I have uh, spare five, ten minutes, I used to just check the news, but now I don't. <laughs> uh, I'm, I will have a time when I, I check the news during the day and I'll stick to that. But other times when I have just that free moments, I think, what should I do? What should I do? Should I read my Bible for five minutes? Should I, do? I will not check the news. Um, and I specifically made the pact to myself. However, I can on my TV just turn on YouTube and I've discovered the joys of postmodern jukebox. Uh, and if you've got a spare five minutes or if you're just watching, uh, you want to watch something while you're cooking dinner or something. I, I have the kitchen set up where I can chop all the vegetables and also watch TV. I'll stick on the postmodern jukebox rather than watching Sky News or BBC iPlayer News or something like that. And I think that is a is a much better thing to do rather than having this coronavirus wave crashing over you all the time. Um, and that's good. Something um, I did really early on, I think like the first day of lockdown on Twitter, I muted <coughs> coronavirus and COVID yeah. and virus. And I just because... I don't need to have the news repeated to me a hundred times over. You know, I, I need to know what's going on, but I don't need to see it again and again and again. And I just found actually that has made life much more manageable. I think, Alad, you, you may have there with you possibly another helpful thing. Uh, if you, well, if you quite. Help, you probably need a dog, don't you? <laughs> well, yeah, do dogs are a blessing and a curse in, in many ways. <laughs> Um, you know, they, they interrupt your videos. And so one of the things I do is I make, um, I make a video every day for, for church people and whoever to just watch on Facebook and um, go through the Bible. But I also do a little kids one once a week where my, my holiday club alter, alter ego, um, stupid man, 
um, which stands for stupid, stands for super, terrific, unstoppable, perfect, incredible, dangerous man, of course. Um, and the dog enjoys dancing when I'm trying to play a song. Um, and the outtakes are funnier than the actual finished product. But there you go. Um, but yeah, having the dog is an excuse to get out because he will moan if I don't, if we don't take him out. And um, so I'm at, the, the interesting thing is, since since lockdown, I'm actually walking more than I used to because it would be get up, get in the car, drive to church, do morning mm-hmm. prayer, sit in the office, come back, sit in my desk, blah, 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 blah. So actually, I'm exercising a lot more than I used to. And Good. Especially, especially now that our hour a day has been extended. Yeah, into... get as often as you like. Yeah, exactly. Hey, judging by the people on the, the public footpath just outside my window, uh, a lot of people are walking more than they used to. I would... I'd have to say, um, as a father, that uh, kids also moan at you if you don't take them out once a day or something as well. So they're, they're also quite useful in that. Yes, no, I think that's right. I do want to say that these are really good things to do. And I, I certainly have, you know, just a sort of daily list of, of checks. Have I spoken to a person today? Have I been outside today? Have I gone to bed at a good time? And, and those kind of things. I do want to say as well, though, that if you're somebody who feels like you're really struggling at the moment with anxiety or with depression or, or some other uh, kind of uh, mental uh, ill health problem, um, do, do talk to your doctor. You might not be able to get to see your GP at the moment, but you should be able to get a phone appointment and they can over the phone do an assessment and see whether actually um, you're, you're suffering from more than just feeling a bit rubbish, but actually some kind of clinical level uh, of mental health. And they probably can't refer you for talking therapy at the moment, but they may well be able to prescribe medication. And if you need medication, then you need medication. And mm. um, you, you should definitely talk to your doctor about that if you think. I, I just remember the first time I was diagnosed with depression, being in the doctor's office and they'd done the little test and she came back and she said, well, it looks like you've got moderate to severe depression. And it was just the biggest relief to know that I hadn't just been making it up and that I wasn't just being a bit feeble and I should just be able to pull myself together and get on with it. So if you think that you might be struggling more than normal, then do talk to your GP about it at the moment. And and we haven't really talked about um, the spiritual aspect of mental health, but you know, it is also something we should be taking care of our spiritual health um and um reading our bible and praying and it's hard because as alan said we're cut off from our church families but you know we can interact to some extent with one another and we can certainly be trusting in the lord uh, Mm. at the moment but all of those things our physical well-being our exercise our eating our sleeping our social interaction and our spiritual health all play into uh, our emotional mental well-being so mm. I will put some links uh, to things about that uh, in the, the notes as well. But please, if you're struggling, um, do try and reach out and get some help, uh, yeah. even at the moment. Good. Finally, furlough. So news has come out in the last week or two from, from not every diocese. But I've seen it certainly in one or two dioceses, but there may well be more coming, that have been asking curates to consider volunteering for furlough. And my initial thought was, I don't really think that's what the furlough scheme is for. But I, I went to it. Somebody pointed me towards the official advice. And actually, the government advice is pretty broad and vague. And I think it probably, therefore, is OK. Um, 
it's for any employer whose operations have been severely affected by coronavirus. Well, I think you can say the church's operations have been pretty severely affected by it. Um, to retain their employees and protect the economy, all employers are eligible to claim under the scheme and the government recognises different businesses will face different impacts from coronavirus. And, you know, certainly if you're in a church where the majority of your giving comes in sort of cash and immediate donations on the plate, then you won't have been having any of those for the last seven weeks. You might then be in a position where you can't pay a, a sort of monthly payment towards your parish share. Dioceses, as we know, many of them were already in a financially pretty precarious position prior to all of this and so then if they're not getting that monthly payment of, of chair from all of their churches may well be in a, a pretty immediately precarious financial position and all of them will be recognizing this is going to have more long-term effects on their money so we can see why they might be thinking should we go to fellow why would you think they picked curates as the appropriate people to consider for furlough. What, who else? I mean, you know, dioceses employ quite a lot of people, don't they? Well, I think I've seen some people say, why should we just furlough all the bishops um, and not just for the next few months? Um, but I, I think that the reason that curates are in the, um, in the target for this is that uh, they are not office holders in the same way as others. So bishops and uh, ordinary ministers um, on common tenure or freehold in the Church of England are office holders. And that is a technically different form of employment, if you like. It's a different status than being an employee of an organisation. Now, I don't think curates are quite employees of the organisation of the Church of England either. But That's neither. true. But it is very clear on the government's page about furlough that furlough can be applied to office holders just as much as employees. It, it doesn't exclude them from the scheme. So I think if that's the reason, that is an excuse rather than a reason. Uh, I think that is what I've seen given in places, and that's why they've done that. Also, I think there's something, uh, if you forgive the um, uh, worldly terminology, low-hanging fruit is that often those in training at the junior level, uh, sorry, Alex, uh, are considered low-hanging fruit as um, slightly more unnecessary than those who are in charge. Uh, whatever we think of that, uh, whether that's true or not, in many places, particularly in Alid's case, for example, the curate is running the show during an interregnum um, and that would have to be treated differently. I mean, you are in a slight different situation but, um, but, uh, covering an interregnum. Um, but even so, you know, you're, you're a curate, you know, you have wardens who are technically in control of the, you know, responsible for the church at the moment. I mean, do you feel that curates should be furloughed? I would have said you were a key worker. Clergy are key workers, aren't they? Yeah, and I guess it's it's hard to comment, um, particularly because I'm from Chester Diocese. Money isn't really an issue for us okay. that I'm aware of. Um, I don't really, I'm not really involved in diocesan finance because I failed my mass GCSE, so they wouldn't want me. Um, and, you know, it would be tricky for people like me because, you know, we don't have a vicar. Um, and even though I'm not in charge, I'm doing a lot of the day to day stuff, especially now where like, you know, retired clergy have basically been taken out of any action apart from phone call based pastoral ministry. And we do have two associate ministers, 
um, but for good reasons we've said that they shouldn't be able they shouldn't be doing funerals um, so if i if for example i was furloughed we wouldn't have that many virtuals well virtual services would take a lot longer to put up and we wouldn't be able to do any funeral ministry at all um, and i know that in my in my um, cohort of curates i'm one of three who is in vacancy during their curacy um, so that would be very tricky um, and I guess curacy, curacies are meant to be humbling things because, you know, as I was told by my rural dean, um, who is chair of Fellowship of Word and Spirit, uh, that curates are the servants of all and master of none. Uh, so that's mm. so from that point of view, I guess if, you know, and, you know, I've, I've been there on social media and via WhatsApp saying, oh, you know, curates, we're treated like this, blah, 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 blah. Um, but it's tricky. It's, it's very hard for someone like me to know the decision-making process that went into those things. I can't imagine it would have been a fun meeting where that was suggested. And I guess it just shows, goodness me, they must be in so much desperate trouble um, to make those decisions. Yes, um, and there may yeah. be some curates in a position, for example, if you've got a spouse who is working in a full-time key worker job you know sort of somebody working for the nhs or something like that and you've got small children at home and you might be saying it's a career you know what it would be really great if i was furloughed i could just focus on looking after the children doing the home education not having to also try and hold down my full-time job at the same time so you know you know in all sorts of situations things would be very different the needs of people's churches will be different um and so on but i it it does I do feel somewhat concerned that they felt that was the, the appropriate person and I would have been encouraged or reassured perhaps to have heard that they were also asking for example some of the many uh, admin and support staff employed by diocese and diocesan officers um, to consider whether actually they also could appropriately be furloughed at the moment. Um, I used to work for a diocese. I was an online pastor. I imagine if he was still doing that job, there would be an awful lot to be getting on with at the moment. But some diocesan officer roles, um, I'm not sure are quite as central to the ongoing ministry of the church right now um, as perhaps the role of some curates um, oh. dealing with immediate pastoral crises and, as you say, funeral ministry and, and those kind of oh. things. Curates and ministers are frontline staff, and I think diocesan staff is backroom staff. Some of the backroom stuff is essential for the ongoing work of the frontline, but some of it is not. Some of it is they are luxury posts, if I can put it that way, um, and they are the low-hanging fruit, not the curates. I think there is also a question about whether we want to use the government's furlough scheme to pay for ministry in churches, because what the, the government is doing is borrowing from the future in order to pay for um, keeping people going through this current crisis. So if you if you apply that to the furlough scheme, from if, if it applies to ministers, curates, for example, what we are doing there is paying for current ministry in churches by borrowing from the nation in the future. And I think there's a question about whether that's the right thing to do um, and whether it should be the, the whole nation that pays for that. Also, whether curates can survive on only 80 percent of the money 
But I know that that's not always the case. Some dioceses are going to top that up to 100%. But it, there are questions of detail that are important to consider whether to go under furlough scheme or not. There really are. So, I mean, lots of employees who are on 80% furlough are saying, well, I'm saving lots of money on, on travel costs and so on. But actually, if you are curate, you're working from home. You, you're not saving on, you know, a 20 mile commute every day. Um, I'm just going to mention one thing. We need to, to wrap up, really. But I just wanted to let people know, obviously, one of the issues with being on furlough is that you are not then allowed to volunteer for the organisation you normally work for. Um, yeah that's quite complicated if the organization you work for is your church because normally we would expect people who are members of a church to be volunteering for that church um edward connor solicitors who are uh, christian solicitors have produced some really helpful advice it is only advice it doesn't constitute sort of you know legal uh, binding advice but it really helpful advice um for people just to work through if you are somebody who's been furloughed from a church or a christian organization what things it might still be appropriate for you to do and what things you mustn't do um, in order to be um, abiding by the, the um, rules of the furlough scheme uh, in an appropriate and godly kind of way. So I'll put a link to that below as well. Just as we finish then, um, I, I'm liking uh, the different things that we're getting from our guests each week, uh, recommendations, uh, things you've been enjoying, things you've been encouraged by, um, so I'm just going to ask you, Alad, we're going to start with you. Have you got anything you'd like to suggest to people? Um, there's a few things. Uh, so if you, I mean, this is going to sound very, very egotistical, but if you like daily videos and you like Legatus as well as others, <laughs> there are plenty of other video resources out there, but I'm doing something called Daily Dose of Joy, which I do every day, um, designed to keep your joy healthy in lockdown, where I'm going through various bits of the Bible. We're doing Isaiah 40 to 55 at the moment. Uh, right. So, you know, because I'm convinced that in my testimony with these things, that the nature of God, so the doctrine of God, is incredibly pastorally helpful. So I'm recommending two books. Um, there is this one, Spurgeon's Sorrows, Realistic Hope for Those Who Suffer from Depression. This is the best okay. thing I've read on depression. It's excellent. And then coupled with that, a doctrine of God book, um, His Love Endures Forever, Reflections on the Love of God by Gary Williams. Um, very thorough, but also very simple. Um, right. Talking of very thorough and very simple, last one, I recently bought this for my goddaughter for her birthday. I think we've already recommended that once on the podcast. Excellent. Good. God is greater than our feelings is one of the devotions in this thing. <laughs> so I bought a copy for my goddaughter and I liked it so much I bought one for me. Because, you know... <laughs> Thoughts to sure. make your heart sing. Yeah, no, that's yeah. A, a great recommendation. Good Lee, what about you? Fruit like me. <laughs> what have you been enjoying lately? Uh, well, there may be some good books that you could buy. I don't know if I could recommend any in particular uh, to you. But um, I've read recently John Lennox's book on where is God in a coronavirus world. I think that's a very helpful um, reflection on, on the current situation. There is a new book which I haven't read yet, which I'm keen to get hold of. So if anyone wants to send it to me, very, very happy to receive that. Uh, IVP have published a collection of reflections called Healthy Faith and the Coronavirus Crisis. And I think I heard that Matt Searles has written a book in uh, a chapter in there on the Psalms and turning to the Psalms in a time of crisis. And I'd love to read that. Uh, so I think that those sorts of things. I'm personally I'm reading the Bible again in a different version. I'm reading Robert Alter's 
translation of the Hebrew Bible, um, which is a big fat three volume thing, but really interesting. He's written on the art of biblical narrative and poetry. And I think he's, he's a really interesting uh, take on the Hebrew Bible and how to translate that. And I've been enjoying that. So I'd recommend it. Big fan of Robert Alter over here. Um, I'm just going to recommend one thing, but it's uh, a book. I think it's only just come out. I bought it for Kindle last week. If you're uh, not a, a digital book reader, you may have to wait a little while before it can be delivered. That is Dane Auckland, Gentle and Lowly. Just uh, uh, an exploration of the, the compassionate heart of the Lord Jesus. Um, and I am being really encouraged by not just his... Um, uh, exploration of that from the the bible but also insights from puritans and and others uh going through that and i'm finding that's really um encouraging me at the moment so i commend that to you good well i hope you've enjoyed uh this podcast if you've enjoyed this episode why not consider uh if there's one friend that you think yeah they'd be really uh helped and encouraged maybe uh, somebody you think uh, it'd be helpful for them to hear our discussions around mental health or somebody you know who's a curate and and wondering what they should do if they're asked to furlough uh, somebody uh, you know maybe who was thinking about standing for general synod uh, then do send them the link to this episode of the podcast and encourage them to listen to it uh, i'll be back again next week thanks so much for watching and or listening <laughs>